Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. And welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drbarrypierre.com, as well as the CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we are talking about an extremely important topic, an extremely common topic, which is urinary incontinence. And again, uh, of course, I would not do it any justice if not bringing on a specialist in this field. And uh, I've got one of the more famous ones, especially um, if you follow her on social media, Dr. Fenwa Milhouse, who is a fellowship trained urologist who specializes in female pelvic medicine and urogenital reconstruction. And the thing I love about Dr. Milhouse is one, uh, again, you know, I have an affinity for physicians who love to use their platform as well as their expertise, especially in this day and age of social media to help educate. And she loves to do that. She's very passionate about uh, telling young people about urology, mentoring them, especially underrepresented minorities uh, in the field of urology. And we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be underrepresented, especially when we think about urology. It seems like it's a very male dominated uh, topic, right? Like you think about prostate and those things in that regards, but understanding that the topic at hand, urinary incontinence affects women much more than affects men. But unfortunately, when women are going to look for a doctor who can treat these problems, guess what? Nine times out of 10, right? And honestly, probably nine and a half times out of 10, they're going to see a urologist who is a male and not a female, not someone who may be able to relate, um, is very, very disheartening, especially as a, a physician who, you know, I talk about this all the time. You know, uh, I know uh, when I have my minority patients who see me, especially my African-American patients who see me and, you know, the, the, I, I can see a difference in their eye when I'm the one who kind of walks into the room, right? Because again, they're so used to probably not seeing someone who looks like me. So being able to see someone who looks like me is definitely uh, a benefit, right? So imagine, you know, being women, right? And having these urinary continence problems, right? We're going to talk a lot about, you know, how common it is, you know, what are the signs and symptoms? Uh, what are the treatment options? We're going to get to all of that during this episode. And uh, again, it's it's a it's a sight to see, right? And again, I'm just uh, thankful for having Dr. Millhouse in and being able to kind of educate us as well. As, and you know, again, uh, I I say this all the time. A lot of times when I bring these guests onto this show, I'm learning just as much as you guys are learning. So I'm definitely thankful uh, for um, you know you guys' support here in the Lunch and Learn community for being able to rock on and uh, you know you know support all of our uh, guests who come on the show. So uh, again, I'll do I'll stop doing my long talking. Let's get ready for another amazing episode here on the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. This podcast is sponsored by the Lunch and Learn Community Merchandise Store, living out the motto Empower Yourself for Better Health. At the store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, coffee mugs, even wristbands and more. For a limited time, you can get 10% off your next purchase using the coupon code EMPOWER10. That's EMPOWER10, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-10. Just go to shop.drbayerpr.com to pick up your purchase and get 10% off today. And remember, 50% of your purchases will be donated to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, a nonprofit organization for high school students. All right, Lunch and Learn community, you are in store for another amazing uh, episode today. 
um, I had the had the pleasure of being out, out being able to welcome uh, an esteemed urologist. And you know, we, we it's very difficult to get them, really, especially difficult to get them uh, on the show. So anytime I get a chance to kind of educate you guys on all of the urinary issues that I usually have to refer out. Um, I'm de- definitely blessed and you know, she took the time to kind of come on and, uh, you know, pass some of her knowledge on to us. Again, Dr. Milhouse, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure um, to talk about something that I treat all the time, that we all treat. You know, I know you see this all the time as well, that uh, Dr. Barry, that doesn't really um, get a lot of attention. So. 100%, especially from a, as a, as an outpatient clinical physician, I, when I, before I went into the hospital setting, uh, it was one of the more common complaints. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I throw a couple of medications here and there, but my, my, always my end goal was like, yeah, you're probably going to have to see a urologist because this is kind of really what they do. Like I can help when medication can't help, but sometimes medication can't help. Uh, what you, what exactly. you got going on. So uh, that, that's why I, even when I prescribe said medication, I always give uh, that referral off because say, hey, you know, this, I, I know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. Right. Important to know, to yes. know what you don't know. <laughs> that's very important. <laughs> the most important. Most, 100%. I, t- I, t- I tell my residents all the time, like, guys, I don't care how smart you are. If you don't know uh, where your limit ends, um, that's, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. Right. And, you know, Agree. So, so, someone's going to get hurt. So we, we never want uh, that to ever occur. Yes. So, Dr. Middlehouse, if I gave him an introduction uh, about what's going on, but like, as far as, you know, especially let's say I have, I have a lot of people who like to skip the intro and like go straight <laughs> to, uh, I, don't, I don't know why they do it. And what's worse, I literally say this every episode and they still skip right over. Cause I'm, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pass forward the commercial and everything. We'll just get to sure. the main episode. Um, tell them a little bit. May that be what in your bio about yourself and who you are and you know how you got to where you're at today? So I am a urologist. Obviously, I work in the Chicago area, um, a big private practice group called DuPage Medical Group. I uh, did not even know what urology was until I got to medical school. Didn't even know that a field existed um, the, uh, that was urology. And when I heard about it, I didn't think anything of it, that that's not me. Why would I want to do something that tends to be more on the, um, male sexual medicine or reproductive side of things? I mean, obviously urologists do a lot of urinary tract, which is both men and female, but anyway, long story short, I saw, um, a woman, a black woman urologist. I met uh, she gave us a lecture and it changed my world because I saw myself in her and I thought, wow, if she is a passionate urologist, I want to figure out why she went into this field and why she loves it so much. And um, from then on, spent a lot of time with different urologists that were all wonderful to work with. And I loved what they did. We deal with a lot of quality of life issues that um, we get to really get to have a relationship with our patients because we're discussing a lot of things that are embarrassing that they wouldn't tell everybody, anybody else. And I like that part of what we do. You know, we do obviously a ton of surgery, which I love. Um, but we also do a lot of medical management in the office, um, which is enjoyable too. So, um, I'm here to show my passion. One of the main things that I do is incontinence. Um, because I am a 
what we call FPMRS urologists. So FPMRS is a subspecialty of urology and it stands for female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Now, urinary incontinence obviously affects men and women much more than women than men, but FPMRS specialists can have, um, may may have um, more skills to treat the harder to the harder to treat cases, you know, that of incontinence that we get. So as an FPMRS subspecialist, I deal with probably seven, I mean, probably 50 to 75% of my practice is incontinence. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's so interesting. Like I said, we, we kind of alluded it to before, especially, especially as a primary care, you know, kind of the front lines where yeah. I typically get a lot of these symptoms. Um, I didn't realize that you can really have a practice that only focuses on just that aspect? Oh, yes. So there's estimated 33 million people in the United States that have uh, urinary incontinence. Um, probably more. Uh, probably those numbers are uh, underreported. But, you know, that's a lot of people out there that are, you know, suffering from something and need help. So for, for the Lunch and Learn community members out there, um, can, can we... Let's talk about what urinary continence is. Like, what, what, yeah. like, what does that even mean to someone? And um, when would they know? Like, let, let's say they don't have, uh, you know, a doctor like me who always sends them to urologists. When would they know to even go to see one? So, urinary incontinence is any in, in, in unintended loss of urine or leakage. Okay, and it could be as little as a drop or two. Or it could be a whole, you know, complete accident, soaking your undergarments, running through diapers or pads or soaking the bed. And it can happen day or night. Um, Urinary incontinence has one factor that is, I find, is a mistake understood in both patients and in non-urologists is that urinary incontinence is not one cause. You know, just because you leak urine doesn't mean that there's just one aspect of it, okay? When we think of urinary incontinence, think of it as, is the bladder doing something it shouldn't? So it's contracting or losing urine, not when it's, you know, it's um, causing you to lose urine or have an urge that you didn't intend, or is the sphincter? The sphincter is the set of muscles um, that hold things, you know, from coming out. So it's, you know, outside of what we call the bladder opening is a sphincter in men and women. And um, is the sphincter not doing something it should? The sphincter should hold in urine when we don't want to urinate, okay? So it's either the bladder doing something it it's not supposed to, and or the sphincter not doing something that it's supposed to do, or a combination of both. And so the different causes of urinary incontinence are extremely important to know how to treat a patient because certain types, I mean, it, depending on the type, you might be getting a treatment that is completely useless to you uh, because somebody may not understand that this is not the type of leakage. Uh, for instance, one thing I see all the time and I'm sure this isn't you, Dr. Barry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm so, hey, lunch, lunch, you can't see me, but I'm, uh, unless you're watching the YouTube video. I'm smiling because in my mind, I'm like, ooh, I wonder if I'd be sending. <laughs> so one thing I see all the time, and I educate my um, patients um, and fellow colleagues, is a patient, let's say a woman who's had a few kids, and she says, you know, every time I go for a run or every time I'm in the gym or every time I cough, I leak urine. Um, it's been driving me crazy. My doctor gave me these pills. They didn't work. 
what can you do for me? And I immediately I'm telling, I'm t- say myself, okay, you know, and you know, this is the wrong indication. Pills don't work for what we, for this type of leakage, which is called stress incontinence. And that's more of a, the sphincter not doing what it's supposed to do. Your, you know, activity is inducing the leakage. So medications, which are geared for the bladder, is be is not being is not appropriate to use for that type of leakage okay so then i have to tell patients okay well yeah that's why medications were never going to work for you because you have a different type of urinary incontinence and we need to do this um very 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 common example uh, I, I, it's so funny because in my mind i was like hmm i, I wonder i wonder how many referrals she gets uh, with the, with the, with the doctor sending sending them like oh hey I, i'm giving all of the medications in it, it don't seem to work. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then what was the other part of your question? You said what is in uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just just in regards to, and I, I guess you kind of answered as far as like when would it be time to see a urologist? Like, oh yes, yes, yeah. So you know, I think it's p- perfectly appropriate for um, patients to try a, a medication or to go over behavioral changes with their primary physician, you know, um, in general things, you know, the behavioral aspects, especially those are good habits for anybody, you know, so avoiding the triggers, coffee, tea, soda, those things, you know, practicing maybe Kegel exercises, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but when it would be appropriate is if certainly a medication, you've tried one or two medications and it doesn't work. I would not go through the gamut. There's probably like, I think there's five to seven of these medications. Don't tell, don't go through the gamut of these whole medications before you send a a patient to a urologist. I think after the first and surely after the, and definitely after the second medication, if you've tried two and it doesn't work, please send a patient to us. Um, If a patient is the stress incontinence category, like cough, lap, sneezing, exercise, run and jumping, it's probably best to go ahead and send that patient right away to urology anyway. Um, you know, because you can't, again, that's the type of patient you wouldn't prescribe a medication for. So, um, and I have no problem, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, if you'd rather just us go through the, you know, st- figuring it out, send them our way from the along. beginning. <laughs> I, I guess I got some colleagues like that too. They're like, Oh, yes. well, I don't, I don't even, I don't even deal with that system. Yeah. Let, let's, if it's not straightforward, absolutely send it to us, you know, right away. <laughs> So, and you talked about some of the causes, uh, you obviously mentioned pregnancy, like what are some other risk like, factors? Yeah. yeah. So risk factors for incontinence. So first of all, women, just by being our urethra are, is, you know, shorter and our sphincter is less, you know, robust, if you will. Women, uh, being a woman is a risk factor. Uh, women have a oh, higher wow. okay. uh, prevalence of incontinence than men. Um, probably about 50%, maybe up to 50% of women have experienced incontinence in some form and maybe 10 to, the numbers are hard, um, but 10 to 25% of men. Okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. women, um, uh, pregnancy is a risk factor, particularly for the stress incontinence. Um, and let me just stop by saying stress incontinence. We, again, I've said multiple uh, examples. The other type is urgency or overactive bladder incontinence. And that's the most prevalent one in both genders where you kind of suddenly have a strong urge that you can't hold back. And you find yourself like doing the, I tell patients, are you doing the pee pee dance on the way to the, to the bathroom? Are you like leaving a trail behind you? Or are you having an accident like completely on yourself? So mm-hmm. uh, pregnancy is much more of a, 
a risk factor for the stress incontinence. Weight gain can be a risk factor, so being overweight. Diabetes can be a risk factor as well. Um, uh, so there are um, previous pelvic surgery or previous prostate surgery. I mean, obviously, a prostate surgery is only happening in a man, but those can be risk. That can be a risk factor. So previous pelvic surgery, neurologic conditions absolutely can be risk factors. So patients who have a history of multiple sclerosis have a high proportion of those who have um, incontinence. Um, uh, patients who've had a history of stroke, those patients are at higher risk of incontinence. Parkinson's, dementia, higher risk. So we see a lot of those patients as well. And, 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 and it sounds like within your questionnaire, especially when they're first, first time they're coming to see you, this is kind of some, the checklist that you're kind of going through uh, to try to figure out, hey, which way do I need to go with this patient in front of me? 100%. When I first see a patient, I get them to tell me what their problem is in their own words. What is, when do you, when, what, what is happening? Oh, I leak when I, you know, have to go to the bathroom. As soon as I wake up, I have to run there. You know, I want to get them to say it in their own words. And I tell them what bothers you the most, you know, what is the aspect? Because some patients will have both, both issues. They say, well, we have to run to the bathroom and I don't make it. And some patients will say, well, when I cough or I go to the gym and I exercise, that also makes me leak. And, I'll t- and, the, and the most important question then becomes, what bothers you the most? Because it's the most, it's the most bothersome part of their symptom that you need to start with first, okay? I mean, this is, this is quality of life that we're talking about. Then I obviously go through their medications and their, prime, their uh, past history. I'm really focused on, like, if they have any neurologic problems. Again, if you had a stroke before, you have a um, history of multiple sclerosis. Have you had back surgeries? You know, sometimes um, back uh, or spine um, interventions might might uh, potentially uh, point to a, um, a risk or a cause. Um, previous pregnancies, um, what treatments have they already done? Uh, you know, they've already done things, you know, let's not start, you know, let's redo them over. Yeah. Let's keep, let's move you forward. So when, and from your history and I I talk a lot about this a lot with my residents, but like from a historical standpoint, are you able to get by that time, usually enough information. So you know, which route to go, or are you still having to do like tests? Right. Cause I think that's what question my, my patients always ask me, well, what are they going to do? Like, they always want to know what you, what you guys are going to do. Like, that's, that's, that's always a, like, again, I've never been a urologist. I don't know what y'all do within, within the clinic, but for some reason, a lot of people are a little bit afraid to go. So it's always like, oh, what are they going to do when they go over there? Like, yeah. Oh, great question. So it's, it's, it's kind of uh, funny because now in current COVID environment, I'm doing a lot of these consults via, you know, um, not not FaceTime, but you know, oh, electronic telehealth. So I will say this: I mean, you can in most patients. Some of some of scenarios are different. In most patients, you can tell which type of leak or which way you're going to go just by getting a thorough history, especially if you just let the patient talk in their own words, like this is what is happening. Okay, so most most cases I can say, okay, well, that person is urgency or overactive bladder, and that person is stress incontinence, okay? Now, um, we do like to do an exam. Um, I will, uh, 
I do like to do pelvic exams. Um, and it's a quick pelvic exam. It's not usually painful. It's not like a gynecology exam that's, you know, might involve a pap smear. Um, it's a very quick pelvic exam. I'm just looking for what the external uh, area around the urethra looks like. Um, if you have cough, flap, sneezing leakage, I'm going to want to see it on exam, you know, so I have patients like, you know, cough in front of me and to see how, oh, okay, are you leaking? Um, we also do uh, what's called a bladder scan most of the time um, in an, an initial consult for sure. And what that is, it's like a very, it's a painless, like little mini ultrasound of your bladder. Um, and it's not even showing pictures. It's just, uh, it's just giving us a result of how much you retain or don't retain after you urinate. So we ask you to pee and then we measure what you leave over. And that can give us some uh, information just to make sure that there isn't also another problem of the bladder not emptying and it's cause it's contributing to your leakage in some kind of way. So, uh, but most of the time we can already figure out what, which way to go just by very thorough history. And I, I can tell you, especially for the men who uh, listen to the podcast, um, they are letting out sigh of relief uh, because, <laughs> and again, and I, I get the same issues when I try to have to send them to like gastroenterologists too. Um, they always feel like some invasive test is going to happen. Like that's that's always their big fear. And, yeah. and I don't, I don't, and I'm not sure what your breakdown is as far as the the gender of patients you typically see, but like sure. that's just always a fear uh, for men, right? Like if yes. I gotta go somewhere. Does something have to get stuck somewhere? Like, that's, uh, I got to be honest for them. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the questions for them because I know that's what they're thinking. That's, the, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the frequently asked questions before I say, all right, I think you need to go see uh, the urologist. Like, well, do, they have to, do they have to stick something up there? And then... <laughs> we don't have to do a prostate exam for incontinence for the men. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. That's now, fine. you might get a prostate exam... <laughs> For other reasons, so it, you know, but uh, yes, yes. That's too funny. So, yeah. I, and I guess that kind of leads me like, what what type of? Uh, I know you kind of specialize in your your practice, like breakdown gender wise. Are you seeing? Is it just because of the sheer numbers of more women having it? Do you, are you seeing more women in your practice, or how how is that? Okay, so because of my gender, I'm a woman urologist, yes. and women want to ideally if you give them a choice of here here's the um, male urologist and here's the female urologist which one do you want to see they're like nine times out of ten they're going to want to see the woman okay mm-hmm. um and so be- that increases do you, my do you proportion get the, do you get the inverse as well like people are like, oh i don't want to see sure there's definitely i will say the women tend to be you know i love my women they tend to be more biased than the male patients male patients yeah they're a little bit kind of you know, a few of them are a little bit, um, admittedly uncomfortable at first, you know, talking to a woman urologist, you know, about these things, you know, I, I, I treat the other aspects of urology. So erectile dysfunction, you know, that tends to be where, you know, men might be really kind of, you know, uncomfortable at first. Um, but they're, you know, tend to be kind of go with the punches. Okay. If you can, if you're a urologist, so I trust your judgment. Women, you know, they have, it takes a little bit more time to gain their trust, I think. 
Um, and it might be easier for a woman to do that. I tell my women patients, listen, go to a urologist that you feel comfortable with. It does should not be based on their gender, okay? Because I know really, really amazingly smart women and men urologists who do what I do. So, um, but I do see more women than men, yes, because of my subspecialty, because I'm a woman in the field. Um, and because incontinence, again, which is a large part of my practice, ends up being more prevalent in women. And, and, and we'll, we'll, I definitely want to talk about this later, just being being a, a woman in your field. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, well, definitely, especially black, especially black women in your field. Yeah, right? that's, so that's definitely, that's, yeah. That's gonna, we're, def- we're definitely touched on, on, on that aspect as well. And yeah. so you, you talked about the different types. Now, is it possible, again, I, I get this question too, is it possible to have both, right? Like, is it possible for uh, medications to work, but you still have the other one where medications don't work? Hundred percent, completely possible. In fact, um, I would say probably if all you know, especially in women, especially in women. So the in men, the most prevalent type by far is the overactive bladder or urgent incontinence. That probably affects of all the men who have incontinence, probably fifty to eighty percent are purely you know of that variety, if you will. Um, the other type of incontinence, the stress incontinence, like cough, lap, sneezing exercise, you know, uh, induced, that is much less common in, in men. The single biggest risk factor in men for that type of incontinence is previous prostate surgery. So we see, uh, the, when I see men who have that, I would say most of those patients have a history of either prostate cancer and having treatment for that. Um, the, uh, we know the treatments for prostate cancer increase the risk of incontinence. Um, or they've had some sort of prostate procedure for, you know, benign condition, or they've had a pelvic surgery, like a, um, a radical uh, surgery for rectal cancer or colon cancer. So um, that tends to be um, a specific subset of patients. Um, in women, um, they are much more likely to have the combo, like you're saying, where they have both types. And then again, that's when that question, what bothers you the most is the most important because um, if a patient is most bothered by their urgency overactive bladder, but then I do something to treat just the cough, laugh, sneezing, they're still going to be quite upset and bothered. So we really need to listen to the patient and treat the thing that bothers them the most, even though the other thing might be the easier one to treat. Uh, the minor one might be the easier one to treat. We need to treat the thing, the, listen to the patient, treat the patient, not what you see or what you want to do. Um, so yes, hundred uh, percent, you can have both. And I make, I'm, I'm very intentional, intention, intentional about uh, educating my patients on these two types. I tell them, because I want them to understand why we're doing things, why we're doing these in a stepwise fashion, why I'm not doing something, but I'm doing this. This is because you have these two types. We have to treat this type first, and this is the ways that we're going to treat this type. So ignore the other type for the moment. We'll get back to that other type later. And, you know, I will tell you, if I had all my, you know, 10 of my patients lined up, they would say, yep, that's her. (laughs) That's what she says. So, yes. So when you get to that point when you're like, all right, I know which one we're dealing with, right? I've I've got the history. I've got the symptoms. I've done the inpatient room testing. And now I know I need to treat. What are what are some of your treatment options? I know we, we talked some medications on one side and like what are some of the treatment options that are out there? So for overactive bladder urgent continence, which is by far the most prevalent one, uh, 
it goes in a, you know, there's a stepwise fashion. So we, we start with uh, behavioral changes and recommendations. That means cutting down or cutting out your coffee, your soda, your tea intake, monitoring your fluid intake. That means um, going to the bathroom. Like, let's say you're somebody who kind of waits too long to go to the bathroom. That means, okay, now I want you to go to the bathroom, maybe more on a timely fashion every three, four hours. Um, That means maybe working on kegels where you use those muscles and our pelvis that support us to, you know, incorporate that and get that stronger. So those are the behavioral um, modifications. Then we will start, we will um, consider medications. Uh, These medications, there's a large, large, a large, many of them. And so we might try um, at least two medications. Uh, I usually don't try more than three because after that, it's unlikely that medications further the fourth and fifth and sixth, uh, sixth one will will work. So I try to move patients along. And then beyond medications for overactive bladder, this is where a lot of patients and physicians that aren't urologists don't know that there's actually more out there. So there are three FDA-approved treatments beyond medications for overactive bladder. There's something called posterior tibial nerve um, stimulation or PTNS. And that's where, interestingly enough, the, post, the posterior tibial nerve, which is in our ankle, can get stimulated. And this is a branch of the sacral nerve, S3 nerve, yes, that helps control our bladder. So by stimulating this nerve in your ankle, which this is a very minor office procedure, if you call it a procedure, it's like, you know, basically you sit there and read a book and you get this acupuncture, you know, thing for 30 minutes. But by doing that on a regular basis, that can help control the bladder believe it or not, in um, a proportion of patients. So that's an FDA-approved treatment. Another FDA-approved treatment is Botox injections in the bladder. So Botox, everybody knows about Botox. Obviously, cosmetic Botox is out there, but Botox is indicated, has like, I don't know, eight or nine different indications across the medicine. And one of them is overactive bladder. So we can deliver Botox injections through uh, into the bladder through a camera, and we can do this in our office. And Botox can help control a significant portion of patients who have overactive bladder. And it's something that if it works, it works usually for about six months. So they, you know, I tell patients it's like going to the dentist. If it works, come twice a year, get it done. You know, it's a, you know, quick uh, office visit, go on about your day. So that's an FDA approved treatment. And then is last, it, is it, is it any pain with that? Any pain? With, ooh, you know, it's not painless. <laughs> it is not painless. We do try You can numb the bladder up by okay. the catheter in, in the bladder and we instill lidocaine for 30 minutes. Typically then that can help significantly numb patients up. It's, I would, it's tolerable. It's, it's tolerable. And okay. the Botox injection process is less than 10 minutes. So it's okay. pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of patients that are very happy with Botox. And then the other uh, option that I do a lot of um, is called sacral neural stimulation. So you can actually have a pacemaker like I say in quotes, pacemaker like device, small device that's implanted um, just underneath the skin in your um upper back, or sorry, the lower back, I apologize. And it has a stimulating lead attached to it that 
targets the S3 nerve. The S3 nerve or the sacral nerve that is in our pelvis actually helps control the bladder. And so that is approved to help control bladder over, um, or overactive bladder. It is also FDA approved for fecal incontinence too. So my patients, there are patients, and I always screen for this, that have some who have obviously overactive or urgent incontinence, but also have some fecal incontinence. And so if a patient like that comes to me and we've tried medications, I tend to push them towards for sure this last option or this, this option, because it can, I say it's like a two for one. I can do this procedure that might help you on both ends. Um, but certainly it is absolutely uh, available for patients who just have uh, overactive bladder without the fecal side of things. And it's a very, very minor procedure. This is not major surgeries. None of these options are major, major interventions. Okay. All right. So, and if it very good to know, because again, especially the, the listeners yeah. who have these symptoms, that's, a, that's always a big fear. Like I don't want to have this huge surgery yes. uh, that may, that may or may not work and I become disfigured. And my men, Nothing. Oh, my men always think about ED. Right. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm pretty sure you, uh, obviously, you know, right? Like, yes, you know, I, yes. so I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking like, what, what am, what am I going to ask? Because like, that's, that's going to, what that's going to yes. what they want to know. Like, is this a possibility that I can get ED after this? Right? Because if I got to deal with urinary incontinence versus ED, hmm. I'll take the incontinence every time. Yeah. The answer to, and the answer is these are not, none of these are major operations and not, and they all have minor minor, minor, minor risks. Um, certainly not a risk of erectile dysfunction. These, that's the nice thing is that there's, you know, minor risk. I've, I've operated on patients in their eighties with, uh, treated them with one of these options, you know, the last one even. Um, so it's, it's out there. It is out there and they're all FDA approved. They've been around for a very long time, actually. And do you find that just the I don't, I don't, I'm not sure popularity is the word, but the, the reason why most, especially, you know, you know, primary care doctors and just really general lay people don't really know about those other things is that they kind of kind of get fixated on either medications or nothing or what would because obviously we see the commercials about the overactive bladder, but we never see any of that about those kind of, especially the one in the ankle that like we never see any no. of those types of things. Yeah. Well, coded. yes, it's not marketed marketed. I think there are a few Botox commercials, but there certainly is nothing, you know, there's none of the ankle, the PTNS, the sacral mm-hmm. nerve stimulation, those aren't out there. So a patient won't know unless a doctor tells them, oh, this is out there. And I do think, I do think we, we as urology need to do a better um, job at communicating with our primary physicians on, hey, when you see a patient, let them know there's more that we can do for you. Because I the problem too is the patient drops out before they even can hear, they can hear that there's mm. options or they mm-hmm. even consider it. So you give a patient a medication, you tell them to go see a urologist. They're going to say, well, this medication doesn't work. What is the urologist going to do? That's different. Give yes. me another pill. Yes. I don't know of any other options. It's they don't know. They don't know. And then they just feel like I'll just deal with it. But if you tell a patient here, try this medication, if it doesn't work, guess what? there are other options beyond medications that might be available to you. So you tell them that the first time you see them, you've hopefully brought, brought, bought them into the process, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that they have hope. Maybe this doesn't work, but there's other things. If they never know, they never know. And for your, your patients who aren't necessarily dealing with the overactive side, but dealing with the stress side, the, you know, the pelvic floor issues, what, what are those options that are out there for them? 
So yeah, so in that stress incontinence, which again, you perfectly stated pelvic floor issues, it's a sphincter problem. It's not supported. And so when you do an activity, it transmits pressure or stress to your pelvis and urine leaks out because it's not supported anymore. Okay. And so all the options are, are designed to try to buff up or, uh, uh, re-support your, your uh, urethra. So one option, which almost every patient probably knows about before they even walk in the door is your Kegel exercises. Okay. So <laughs> I tell, are those effective? I, is that, is that... They, they can be effective. Yes. I mean, if you have severe enough incont- stress incontinence, it probably will not be effective. Okay. It also takes a lot of persistence and knowing what to do. So I will say probably half of women think they're doing a, or men think they're doing a kegel and they're not, they're pushing, you know, Mm -hmm. bearing down. I tell patients, pretend like you're sucking something in, pretend like you're holding in. This is very blunt. You're holding in a fart. Pretend like you're holding in a fart. If you, that sensation of like sucking it in is that that's the pelvic floor that's be that you're contracting. And so, um, there are physical therapists. So one other one, you know, adjunct to Kegels are incorporating pelvic floor, physical therapists, pelvic floor, physical therapists mm, okay. can help you to strengthen up these muscles. And this, this can be, um, you know, a very notable improvement in, in, in a proportion of patients who have stress incontinence. It can also actually help with the first one too, the overactive bladder incontinence too. Uh, beyond Kegel exercises and pelvic floor physical therapy, then there are more kind of deliberate interventional uh, options. One, a non-surgical option is something uh, called a, so for women, pessary uh, or a pessary for incontinence is a vaginal insertion device that's placed in the vagina in the office and used to support the, the urethra like a speed bump underneath it. And it's a device that the patient can learn to take in and out periodically themselves. So they can just wear it if they just need it for when they're going to the gym, put it in when they go to the gym so they don't leak, take it out when they go home. Or if they have it more consistently throughout the day, they can wear it in, uh, in their vagina for days on end. And then take it out periodically, once a week or at night or something like that. So it's a non-surgical way that can help patients. And any issues um, with like, um, like safety, cleanliness, or anything? And well, yeah, I mean, you or? can't if you leave it in too long, it can um, cause a lot of discharge, which is okay. unpleasant. It can also cause vaginal bleeding because you can get breakdown of the vaginal mucosa, like an abrasion. Yeah you know, uh, like a pressure ulcer, if you will, but in the vagina. So that can cause bleeding. You know, I don't have a lot of patients like that, but every once in a while I'll have a patient who's had a pessary in for like six to 12 months. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, let me, you know, we need to just readdress this. So the, the risks are minor. I mean, that will heal if you just take it out. Um, I will say pessaries for my young patients tend to be not that popular of an option because my young ladies are like, I don't want to trade my pads for something that I have to put in, in, you know, in my vagina all the time. You know, I want something where I don't have to do, you know, active, actively. Um, so then they may, um, and, and not to say just my younger patients for uh, a, a lot of my patients, but then surgery um, is an option. And the most common way that we treat this is by a sling operation and a sling can involve a mesh or can involve non-mesh material. Um, but a sling is basically re-supporting the urethra like a hammock 
through a through a minor procedure that involves a small cut in the vagina and um, some additional sometimes some additional cuts uh, in the uh, groin or the belly, and we pl- replace we resupport the urethra with this. Um, kind of tape-like product. Again, it can that tape can involve mesh. I do a lot of slings. Um, it has a very high success rate. Um, and, and in some patients, uh, they may opt for what we call an autologous sling so that they use part of their own tissue instead of mesh to form the sling that we use to then support the urethra. That procedure is is more involved and definitely went more invasive because we have to cut them like a C-section scar and get a piece of their tissue that way before we even do the sling. Um, but that's one of the main options. There's a, a, a procedure that we don't often do, but it is also uh, can be done. It's called bulking, urethral bulking. Think about fillers. Like plastic surgery, they put fillers in people's cheeks to bulk it up or plump up their lips or whatever. You can do fillers in the urethra almost with like collagen is one uh, one uh, example of a product we use for bulking that can bulk the urethra so that it provides resistance so that there's less leakage with activity. Oh, okay. All right. Like, yeah. oh, I can see that. Like just yeah. more pressure to, okay. Yeah. Plumper urethra that's kind of causing more resistance. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, interesting. I guess uh, flip side, and I'm just asking as a physician, like would that yeah. uh, lead you at a risk for like some maybe like urinary retention? Then, like, would you go the sure. opposite way if you? Sure. Okay. Yeah, all of this is an art. You can have urinary retention is a is a potential risk factor for any of these options because we're so resupporting the you know the out outlet. So absolutely, yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I want you to learn community. I, I like to. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm getting just as educated as you guys. I'm like, oh, I wonder if, I, if, I, if they do that. Then I wonder if I, if they didn't, they didn't come back to me like, hey, dog, I can't even pee anymore. Like, oh. We talk about that <laughs> for the men. So those were options for for men, for women mm-hmm. for the men to be complete, not leave, not leave you the fellas out. Yes. For the men, same thing. Physical therapy, kegels. Men have kegels too. Um, beyond that, there are. Um, Man, I hear that the like, of course, if my men tell me that yeah. oh, they don't work for us, right? It just is just that's just a women thing. It's harder to explain. It's harder to teach a man how to do a kegel in, in my in my experience. I will say that it can work, but it's harder to teach. Yes. Um, beyond kegels, the non-surgical option for this cough, lap, sneezing, leakage, or stress incontinence. There's. It's going to sound like a medieval torture, but penile clamp. <laughs> it sounds Ooh, okay, all right. terrible. Let's go. I know. Let's go. <laughs> but it's not as terrible as it sounds. It's, it's actually like a cushion, you know, they have a cushion and it's, you know, think about it. It's like a clamp that goes on the outer part of the penis. You know, the urethra goes through the penis. So if you clamp just, you know, along the shaft, you know, it can cause resistance so that you don't leak when you're, playing golf or the man doesn't leak when they're coughing or they're going to the gym or going for a walk with their dog. And so penile clamps can work in, in some patients. Beyond that, we have slings for men. There is a male sling. So just like women gets, can get slings for this, a male sling product is out there that does the same thing, resupporting the urethra like a hammock. And then for men, one of the more unique options that they have um, is something called an artificial urinary sphincter. And that's basically an artificial device that looks like a little mini blood pressure cuff. And that little mini blood pressure cuff we, we um, put around the urethra. And that, that 
causes the urethra to be closed at rest. So the urethra is closed. So you're not losing urine when you're out and about doing things. But then when the man wants to urinate, they obviously need the urethra to be open. So we, part of the device has a concealed pump in the scrotum, this little pump that's in the scrotum. The Ah, man goes, pumps this pump in the scrotum and it opens up the cuff so that the man can pee. And that's been around since the early 1970s. And that is the gold standard, surgical gold standard for treating, for treating male stress incontinence. I was, I was going to ask, which, which one do your men typically? I do more, a lot more of the artificial urinary sphincter. Okay. okay. Because uh, by the nature of, uh, it has more data behind it. Most of the men that I see with that are pretty severe. Mm. So the male sling is good for patients who have mild to moderate, but for patients who have severe, you know, more than four pads a day, um, it, then the, and patients who've had radiation. So again, male stress incontinence tends to be somewhat of a unique group because most of those men have had treatments for prostate cancer or some sort of prostate related procedure. And so uh, I would say probably half of the men I treat, they've had radiation for their prostate cancer treatment. And the male sling is, um, has been shown to be less effective in that group. So, and I know I know a lot of our conversation, uh, especially for lunchtime community members, may have us lean in like all you're seeing is people over the age of sixty, right? Like, what are what what is some of the the age range of people who are walking into uh, your office in your clinic um, with with these similar complaints? Like, what are what are some of the age ranges that you're seeing? All over. All over. I will say, obviously, incontinence as a whole tends to be more prevalent in as the older we get. In women, it peaks, you know, it starts to, it goes, it gets higher at menopause and then uh, starting at menopause and then steadily gets higher hmm. with every decade. Hmm. Same with men. Why, why menopause? What is, hmm, that's just, okay. There may be some estrogen-related yes, yeah. Yeah, changes that make you, that make incontinence more, um, of a risk. So we think we do, we don't know it. I don't think we understand it completely, but we do think that hormonal status may play a a factor. Um, But in any case, I've seen young patients um, with incontinence. I mean, young people, even kids can have overactive bladder. You know, I see patients who say I've had this all my life, but I've just secretly dealt with it. Um, You know, and so that again, over, I tell People overactive bladder isn't is equal opportunity, you know, uh, condition. You know, young, old, men, um, women. Um, I have seen young women. We do think that high impact exercise or sports can increase the risk of stress incontinence in young in young women. So I have seen a handful of patients in their teens who are super athletic. Oh, I'm on the cross country. I play volleyball. I'm in track that have cough, laugh, sneezing, exercise, and do leakage. So track player, every time she runs and she jumps on the hurdle, she's squirting out urine unintentionally. You know, no, never had, has been pregnant, never has had any kids. Nothing that you would, you know, those, those common risk factors that you would expect. Super skinny, very athletic built, but has this incontinence. So it, it can affect even the young people. You know, that's very important to know, especially especially as a primary physician, because um, I can tell you that's probably that probably that question is probably not even in my armamentarium when mm-hmm. I think a person is young. Like why yes. why like why especially as a primary care doc, why would I ask my my twenty year old, my twenty five year old, like oh hey, you ever had any problems like dribbling or like I yeah. like I don't even think that would even 
like come to mind. So that's definitely good to know. Yeah. Uh, to make sure that's a, like a question I gotta. But oh hey, by the way, ask them. Ask them about this just in case, especially if you're saying there. A lot of people are walking around. You know, I had this all my life, and just more embarrassed. But I'm pretty sure if a physician, you know, someone like a primary would have said, like, hey, any problems? You're in here, right? They probably be like, oh doc, I've been waiting. <laughs> you're you you're you're absolutely right you're absolutely right they're waiting to tell somebody you know they want to bring this up they just don't know how they probably think especially if you're young you probably think gosh i must be like the only person that has this they're you know my why am i so young and dealing with this i'm too embarrassed to even tell my doctor so yeah so for for especially because we, we we've heard we've heard the kind of the gamut right from start to beginning right is there any way right that I can even like prevent this is there anything I can do to I guess avoid seeing you like what what like what 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 <laughs> is there any process I can start now and say all right maybe just, maybe if I do this I can avoid seeing urologists when I get older <laughs> so healthy living healthy <laughs> diet are always good things because weight is a factor okay um, and certain foods and drinks can increase incontinence. So I tell patients, ditch the sodas. Okay. Soda is just Coke, sodas, pop, whatever region that you say it. <laughs> I say soda because that's where I grew up saying, but everybody says pop here in Chicago or Illinois. So pop, soda, Coke, you know, ditch that, make that for special occasions only. Don't, um, same thing. Don't moderate coffee, tea intake. Um, uh, I personally used to be a big coffee drinker, got to residency and it was causing me to have overactive bladder. I had to go all the time, very urgently. So I had to give it up because I just didn't have time. So doing that, you know, dietary modifications can help avoid, um, to help avoid it. Uh, you know, even patients might, I've, I've heard women talk that are pregnant, like, well, I'm not going to have a vaginal delivery because that is worse than having a C-section. And that is indeed, that is true. Probably vaginal delivery might increase the risk, but guess what? Even with a C-section, just by getting, having a pregnancy, carrying a pregnancy, even with a C-section, you can have that risk of, of the stress incontinence. So I don't generally advocate for patients to choose one method over the other just because of that. Okay. Yeah. And before I let you go, I obviously have to, you know, kind of delve into the fact that um, fortunately, uh, you had that one black urologist who came to speak, right? Just maybe by chance, maybe by not. And that kind of, you know, led you like in the direction, right? Um, when you're going in this process of becoming a urologist and you're starting to realize like, oh, wow, there's really not a lot of women here. And there's definitely not. And I mean, this goes for medicine in general. There's definitely not a lot of black women. In I was going to say, like, I knew that black before black. I even got into the process. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Like, I don't, like, you don't even have to tell me. I'm almost sure. Like, oh, there's not a lot of women. I already know like the yeah. number of black women is even smaller. Like what, yeah. what's that process been like? Just, and again, as, as, as a urologist, right. As a female urologist, um, and patients are coming to see you and you're like, whoa, like, like, do you ever like experience like, oh, yes, like, I'm definitely glad that I was able to kind of go this route or like, wow, it's, it's crazy that I was able to go this route. Like, what, what's, what's, what's been the process like? Well, 
Number one, representation matters. For me, it changed. I would have never thought about this field and I love this field. I would do it. I would pick it over and over again if I had to go back and choose it 100%. So for me, the big thing is replicating that and trying to be visible on social media or, you know, mentor people or get out there and talk to young people say, hey, you maybe it's not a urology, but you could be, you know, uh, ophthalmologist, you could be a plastic surgeon, you could do some, you could do orthopedics. Okay. Um, as a woman, as a woman of color, I would say going through the process, fortunately has been most majority of the time been a pleasure. Okay. Um, people ask me, well, how have you been received by maybe your attendings or your colleagues? And I will say, I trained at the university of Chicago, loved it. They, I, you know, I'd like to say and think that I was one of the favorites, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was a very welcoming environment. Absolutely. We celebrate diversity, um, where I trained and I would say fortunately majority, majority of, uh, institutions are more want to have that diversity, you know, and, uh, and are as a specialty, we, as American Neurologic Association, we publish the numbers of women who matched. We love that. You know, we want to show people out there like, yay, you know, there's more women that are getting in the field now. Um, so it's been very positive patients. Some patients are definitely timid, um, more of the, from the gender side of things and the race side of things. Personally, um, I can think of, a handful of patients who flat out definitely were like, you're not touching me. I don't want a woman touch, you know, urologist treating me. And you know, it's your loss, boo-boo. It's not mine. (laughs) (laughs) You will be able to experience the fabulousness that is me. Okay. (laughs) And I've had a few unfortunate, like racial, you know, patients who did not want to be treated by me because of my race. And you know what? I sleep great at night. <laughs> you know, 100%. because I'm, yeah, I know my skill. I'm sure you have stories too. Oh, yes. But again, by far, it is such a pleasure. My, the sisterhood in urology is so tight and so good. I mean, um, there, we have so, uh, you know, there's not a lot of us. So we all have like the same stories we have a certain personality of just, you know, being there for each other because we know what it's like to be surrounded in a very male dominated uh, specialty in a boys club, if you will. Um, and then the few of us black women too, or, you know, and then, and then, and there's a, um, actually a black urology community too. definitely tighten it. Um, uh, there's a even tighter knit black, you know, women urology, meaning they're not a lot of us at all. So I'm very fortunate and feel very privileged. And what, what are some of the numbers again? I'm sorry. Just, uh, can I give uh, eight, so eight, 9% women mm. in your, uh, practicing in urology. Yes. Wow. One of the lower, one of the lowest specialties that have it. It used to be the lowest. I don't know if it's the lowest still. Um, but it is definitely top you know, at the bottom, you know, top two, three, um, and black urologist, Ooh, baby, 2%, maybe. Wow. Yes. Yes. And, and the reason why I shake my head um, at that is that understand, especially that from a numbers game that a lot more women are going to need to be seeing a urologist, but the fact that 91, 92% of the field is dominated by men. I can only imagine from the patient side, right? It's obviously much more much like community members. You know, a lot of them are patients, right? Fortunately, they better be patients because they better be going to their doctor, right? Um, I, I can only imagine being a woman and wanting to see 
a FEMA urologist and literally not even having that ability to do so. Like depending on where you're at, look, I'm, I'm in South Florida. So you, like, in fact, like it's so funny. We have one of our urologists, I love her, Dr. Lobby. Um, she actually promotes herself as the female urologist, right? Like, yes. like, like that's her thing. Like she does not see men. Like she's like, oh, yeah. I, she, like, yeah. she's like, oh, I don't see men. Like, yeah. it's, it, and I said like, is like, can you? She's like, yeah, I can, but I don't want to. You can't. Like, she's like, she's like, nope. And like, and people know her, like my patients, used, especially my female patients will come and be like, oh, I need to see Dr. Lobby. Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, how you know about that? Oh, I, well, she's a female urologist. Like, why wouldn't I see? Like, to the point where I don't think my patients realize men can do, ha- handle the stuff that they have. Like, <laughs> she's done a great job in her advertising. Shout out to yes. Dr. Lobby. Shout yeah. Out to- <laughs> yeah, shout out to that. I agree, right? You're absolutely correct, though. So when they see that there's a female urologist in their community, that, I mean, the doors go busting wide right. open, you know? So absolutely, absolutely. My, um, my, I have a female partner in my group and she's awesome. She's excellent. And she was the only female urologist in this mass, massive group of ours until I became the second one. And she actually was really happy to have me come yes. along. She's like, I wouldn't mind having a little bit more diversity. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I do want to see the men too. So maybe you can t- take some of the women. <laughs> So I can see some of these men again. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. No. Again, I was. was I, I just. I was. Because I was thinking, especially from the the physician side, but even worse from the patient side. Like if I. Yeah. Like literally did not have the, like maybe I feel more comfortable seeing. And hey, I don't want. I don't want to assume that you would feel more comfortable, but maybe yes. I would feel more comfortable seeing a, a female urologist. But I don't even have that ability because it's not. Wow. Ninety. Not, not there. 90, yep. Ninety. Wow. That's wow. Okay. Yes. All right, all right. Yeah, we both live in we live in like you know decently sized big cities, right? So right. the chances are you might have a woman, you might have a woman urologist somewhere in the vicinity. But there's tons of communities mm-hmm. around the United States that they're not there. Not, yeah, not there. Not having a choice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, before I let you go, right, I definitely want you know people to be able to obviously follow you. First of all, like uh, uh, side note, you're absolutely amazing. I've been, I've been, I recently started following Thank you. You're absolutely amazing. Uh, Thank you. Amazing person to follow, uh, especially because uh, uh, you you do like I me. Mean, you do like a lot of uh, fun stuff, but you do a lot of teaching stuff, which is always yeah. good, right? Because uh, I think we need way, way, way more physicians like out there, like to combat some of the craziness that you know that's out there in the internet. So I love seeing our yeah. experts out there saying like, "No, like, this is what it is. This is yes. the, the education." So, um, where can people follow you, find you? Let's especially if, I guess if they're in the Chicago area, you know, get into your practice. Like, what? Give, give us oh, yeah. all that information. Let, let us. Oh, thank you so much. First of all, I love my my Instagram page is where you can find me. That's that's my personality. So it's at Dr. Milhouse and Milhouse is with, with one L. So at D-R-M-I-L-H-O-U-S-E um, and on Instagram. And my Instagram is definitely, you're going to learn urology, um, but you're going to see my real life. You're going to see like my personality, um, you know, motivation. Um, I really have found that my Instagram is not only for my patients to find me and to learn about me, but also for young students, college students, medical students, residents who to be inspired and to, I've, I've been able to reach out to so many uh, students from all over, from all the way back home in Nigeria, um, all the way Ah, in the Caribbean, all the way, you know, college students who want to be doctors. Um, So absolutely. I'm an open book. 
Um, if you have something you want me to talk about on Instagram, just send me a message. Um, and then my practice, um, is DuPage Medical Group. So our website is www.dupage, D-U-P-A-G-E, medical group, all, you know, obviously one word.com. Okay. Um, and, and you like can find community members, I will page. have this in the show notes as well. So you don't have to like write it down. I will have her links in the show notes for you guys. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. And no, no. Thank Thank you for, uh, you know, again, educating our community, educating me. Right? Like I said, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm already mentally adding questions. I need to like, like start like incorporating, especially for, again, I, I'm sorry, younger patients. I forgot, I forgot about you guys. Um, I really, I really thought this was an old person's issue. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think you'd be young enough to deal with it. Clearly you are. Yes. Uh, and I definitely want to make sure that we're addressing it. So you're not walking around in your teens and in your thirties and your forties with this problem that you've always had that you just wished you somebody would have said like, Hey, by the way, what's going on? Like, yep. can, you pee, can you pee correctly? And then go from there. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'd love to be, uh, to, uh, be back on the show. We can talk about something else. I, I love it here. More I, for the, we can talk more for the men. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, my men, and I'm pretty sure you already know, my men are scared. Men are scary when it comes to anything. Because uh, yeah. they, because they always, again, they always, again, I don't know what happens in the urology office that they've seen on TV, but like, it's always like, oh my God, I don't want to be on this table. I don't want stuff stuck. Like, they, they just don't want things stuck in them. Like, it's just a, uh, it's it's the it's the image of the of the like big man with the glove, you know, snapping the glove and then you know <laughs> doing the rectal exam. Yes, so total fear, <laughs> total fear of it, right? Yeah, well, Dr. Midhouse, thank you for uh, an amazing, amazing uh, episode. And uh, like I said, Lunchtime Community members, please follow her. Amazing person to follow, uh, to have a good time, laughing, uh, to be educated, right? Which is always a plus for me on both sides. Yes. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You take care of yourself. Thank you for coming to the end of the episode. It is your truly Dr. Barry Pierre. I want to give my undying thanks to you for your support. Just getting to the end of the episode means that you at least enjoyed today's episode. Hope you were empowered by today's episode. Please remember to share this episode with at least two people that you know that would be greatly affected if they did not listen to today's episode and if you have not already done so subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review especially on apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review leave a review there because your support is so 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 valuable for what we're doing here on the lynch learn and everything with pierre medical consulting and if you have not done so go ahead and join the listserv to join the listserv it's very easy just grab your phone right now i'll pause Join the listserv. You want to text Lunch Learn Pod. This is all going to be one word Lunch Learn Pod to 44222. And you'll be on the listserv. You'll know exactly when new episodes are coming out. You'll know about new episodes before they actually come out because I usually tell my listserv members, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is the guests that you should expect to hear for the week on. Thanks, guys. You have a blessed day, and I'm going to see you guys next week. <laughs>